Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore in the scripture, you ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, there you go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams made glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verses 1 through 9 are all about chaos, desolations in the earth, and wars, and the bow, and the spear, and chariots, and fire. And verse 10, be still and know that I am God. As we continue our series this morning called The Trellis and the Vine, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being still. We're talking about quietness and trust, solitude and silence. I'm so glad that Kurt and the band played that song and we sang it together as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. This is really what we're trying to do as we engage in this spiritual practice of solitude and silence, being still and knowing that he is God. So let's just start our time together in God's word by doing that this morning. Would you just close your eyes? Bow your head and let the bowing of your head represent the bowing of your heart before God. I was going to save this for the end, but let's, let's just still our bodies together. So the way that we're going to do that is take three really long, deep breaths. And as we do that, I want you to pay attention to a couple of things. One thing I want you to pay attention to is tightness in your body. Maybe in your neck, maybe in your shoulders, maybe in your jaw. Try to release just a little bit of that tension. And the second thing I want you to pay attention to is any parts of your body that you are holding up rather than allowing that chair that you're sitting in to hold them up. Chair's not going to break. You can put all your weight in it. And so let's obey Psalm 4610 together and take three long, deep breaths and just be still and know that he is God.
let's sing that chorus together one more time. I'm going to get us started, and then I'm going to stop. <laughs> Jeff, will you give me a note there, buddy? All right, I think I can do it. It's been a long time. When the oceans rise and thunders roll, I will soar with you. See how Jeff just kind of resolved it there and let me know that it's time to stop singing. That was, thanks, Jeff. So, God, yes, we invite you, Spirit of God, to speak to us, to change us, to open our eyes and ears and open our hearts. Remind us, God, of your still, small voice today. Talk to us about who you are. Talk to us about the ways that we can tap into you and abide in you. Speak to us now, O Jesus, in the name of Christ, the people of God, together said, amen. I hope that you had a great week. Hi, good morning. My name is Lucas Cooper, lead pastor here at Bayview Glen Church. Uh, I hope you had a great week. I I definitely had a great week. Amy and I uh, went down to Florida uh, to visit Kaya's birth parents. There's a couple different kinds of adoptions. Closed adoption is uh, when you you have no more contact with birth parents. A semi-private adoption is when you have minimal contact through the agency and an open adoption is what we have and so uh, we went down to to Florida for a couple days to visit Kaya's birth parents so we we had a blast we we had a great time um, some of you might be wondering if we adopted a child from Florida on purpose no that was just a gift from God and so uh, we but we do uh, choose on purpose the time of year that we visit them you know one of those, should we go in July or February? I think February is probably right. That probably feels like a good time to hop down there. So we, we had a blast um, spending some time with, with those guys, and it's always good to be back here and see you uh, this morning, my, my family of faith, my, my church community, my church family. Uh, in John 15, Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. His father is the vine dresser, and every branch in him that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away or lifts up from the ground and every branch that does bear fruit, the vine dresser prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So repeat after me. Here we go. I am a branch. My job is to bear fruit. Jesus is the vine. <clears throat> he gives me life. The Father is the vine dresser. He prunes me so that I bear fruit. 
Okay, so if you're joining us for the first time today, that might be new to you, but if you've been tracking with us along this series, you've been repeating those phrases week after week for the last several weeks. What we've been doing is is journeying through a series called The Trellis and the Vine. We've been comparing spiritual habits or spiritual exercises to a trellis. We've said that spiritual exercises create a spiritual trellis that supports our spiritual growth, and each week we've endeavored to do two things. One, we've endeavored to establish the purpose of spiritual habits, the purpose of spiritual habits. Uh, Dallas Willard, who we looked at a couple of weeks ago, said, spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major cause of human misery and rebellion against God. So, in order to avoid the pitfalls associated with the wrong understanding of spirituality, Our first goal each week has been to describe a right understanding of spirituality. So we've said things like, God doesn't care how pretty your trellis is. In other words, we don't have spiritual disciplines uh, exemplified for us in the Scripture, prescribed or described in the Scripture, so that we can look good to God, to others, or to ourselves. We said that the trellis never weighs us down, it always lifts us up. Spiritual life in the school of Rabbi Jesus is always an easy yoke. We said that an effective trellis is rigid. It's an easy yoke, but our spiritual habits need some stability and consistency. And we even use the word discipline in order to design or or in order to function as they are designed to. So then our second goal each week has been to add to our spiritual trellis by learning one spiritual practice. We've talked about fasting, we've talked about prayer talked about Bible study. We've talked about doing justice in the world, and our goal is the same today. We'll establish trellis fact number four, and then we'll add more color to our right understanding of spirituality as we establish trellis fact number four, and then we're going to talk about the spiritual practice of silence and solitude. We good? Good. All right. So let's just keep reading in John chapter 15, verse 3. John chapter 15, 1 and 2 is what we already read. We're going to read verse 3 and watch trellis fact number 4 begin to surface even as Jesus uh, continues to speak to his disciples in John 15. Jesus says this. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Stop there. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about eternal destination. He's talking about, to use a theological term, salvation or justification. Jesus says, your standing before God is already done. Past tense. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are saved. Nothing can change that. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now he's going to turn a corner, and he's going to talk about something different. Look what Jesus talks about in verse 4. Keep reading there. Jesus says, wow, where am I at? Jesus says, verse 4, here we go. It's up here on the screen. should be, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is now talking about developing godly character. 
He's talking about bearing the fruit of righteousness. To use another $2 theological term, he's talking now about sanctification. That's why in the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, Jesus uses that phrase, bear fruit, six different times. It's bearing the fruit of godliness, producing a crop, or yielding a harvest of righteousness. Bearing the fruit of Christian character. Jesus is now talking about how we do that piece of the Christian life. You're already saved. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now let you and I talk about developing godly character. So how do we do that? Well... We do that in the same way that a branch bears fruit, by making a firm commitment, by an act of our will. Of course not. That's not how a branch bears fruit. That's the burden of religion, a commitment or an act of your will, but the Jesus way is different. Jesus says the branch bears fruit by remaining in the vine. That's why Jesus repeats that word abide Ten times in those first 11 verses. Ten times. Ten times in 11 verses. You think he wants us to take note of that word? You better believe it. That word abide simply means to stay or remain or reside. So Jesus says to his disciples, do you want to bear the fruit of godliness? Simply remain in the vine." It's not about effort. It's not about will. It's not about determination. Just stay connected to Jesus and you will bear fruit. Understand that when Jesus tells his his disciples that a branch that has been disconnected from the vine can do nothing, he's deliberately using hyperbole. Jesus may have even intended his disciples to laugh at this picture. This is like as funny as they got in first century Palestine here. Like they would have maybe giggled even a little bit, right? Like, a branch that's disconnected from the vine can do nothing. Well, of course it can't, Jesus. It's, it's almost as if he wants his disciples to see the absurdity of a branch that's been cut off from the vine but is still trying to bear fruit. It's a fruitless effort. That, that pun was intended, yep. But, but look what else Jesus wants his disciples to see. He wants them to see how easy it is for a branch that's connected to a vine to bear fruit. He looks at him and says, you're a branch. You're a fruit bearer. That's what you're designed to do. That's all branches do. And if you stay connected to the vine, you will bear the fruit of godliness. There's no way around that. So let's, take, let's, let's back away from the metaphor just for a minute. Let's put this in really clear terms when we talk about developing Christian character. Look up here on the screen. If we stay connected to Jesus, we will become more like him. That's, this is not complicated. Like I, I deliberately didn't like word this in a fun way with you know alliteration and rhyming and you know symbols and things. If you stay connected to Jesus, you're gonna bear fruit. You can't help it. You're a branch. That's what you're designed to do. And if you stay connected to the vine, you will bear the fruit of godliness. Just as a branch that is connected to a vine will bear fruit, we will become more like Jesus if we stay connected to him. Now, we mess this up all the time. (laughs) We really do. 
we understand that it's our job to bear fruit, but we often attempt to do that in a different way than Jesus intended. We might agree with Jesus that God has made us clean. Verse 3 of John 15, I'm already clean, I'm already saved, my eternal destination has changed. He saved me, that was by his grace, but then we try to get sanctification done on our own. In other words, we inappropriately and unnecessarily shoulder the responsibility of transforming our own character. Are you with me here? So rather than living the true gospel, which is the gospel of transformation, we begin to live the gospel of behavior modification. So we observe Christian character in others, and maybe we read about it in Scripture, and we try to mimic it. We try to modify our behavior and bear fruit on our own, and frankly, it doesn't work that way. Again, think of a branch that tries to will itself to bear fruit. Better yet, think of this English ivy over here. What if I brought grapes in this morning that I bought at Longo's and stapled fruit to it? Said, look, a grapevine. No, that's not how that works. That's not how we were intended to bear fruit. It's absurd. It's comical. And that's Jesus' point exactly. Our attempts to modify our behavior are just as comical and, and, they're going to leave you burnt out, heavy burdened, and exhausted. Jesus doesn't want us to staple fruit to ourselves. He wants us to bear fruit. You see the difference? Fruit bearing comes from the inside. This is the nature of the gospel. It's not about behavior change. It's about heart change. And that heart change produces behavior change. It produces fruit, it bears fruit, it yields a crop, it yields a harvest, but it always starts with heart change. We'll go back to Dallas Willard, because I love Dallas Willard and, his, and what he talks about in spiritual formation. Look what Dallas Willard says. He says, the aim of spiritual formation is not behavior modification. You with me? The aim of spiritual formation, of spiritual habits, of spiritual practices, of spiritual disciplines, is not behavior modification, but the transformation of all those aspects of you and me where behavior comes from. You see the difference? It's about heart change. So our spiritual trellis is not intended as a behavior modification technique. You read the Bible and pray more so that you can modify your behavior. The goal of habits like Bible study and prayer and fasting is not to change your behavior, seriously. Are you with me? The goal of spiritual habits is heart transformation. That aspect of you and me where behavior comes from. Trellis fact number four. The trellis exists in order to keep the branches connected to the vine. That's what the trellis is there for. It's not there as a behavior modification technique. It's there to keep the branches connected to the vine. The branches do not draw their life from the trellis. The branches draw their life from the vine. Because when branches are connected to a vine, they draw life, energy, renewal, and vitality. They can't help but bear fruit. Same goes with us. If we stay connected to Jesus, we will draw life, renewal, energy, and spiritual vitality. And because we are branches, we will inevitably bear the fruit of godliness. 
I'm going to say this a few different ways just so we know that we're clear, and then we'll move on to today's spiritual practice. You remain in the vine, God will produce the fruit. You build the trellis, you stay connected to the vine, God will produce the fruit. You stay connected to Jesus, godly character will come. Do not focus on modifying your behavior. Focus on staying connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, remaining and residing in Jesus. The fruit is an unavoidable result. So as you engage in spiritual habits, including but not limited to the one that we're talking about today, understand that the goal of a spiritual support structure of a trellis is to help you abide in Christ. The trellis isn't an end game in and of itself. Spiritual habits are there to help you tap in to the transforming reality of the capital V vine. Got it? Wonderful. But understand, Remaining in the vine is not a passive activity. Remaining in the vine is not just sitting there and letting it happen. In fact, remember the word that Jesus uses when he says abide in the vine? I want, you, I want to talk about the tense of that verb because it's really very interesting. This word abide is in the original Greek, it's meno, M-E-N-O, meno. And, and, and you can go back one because I have a joke to do before that. Um, now it's not going to work, is it? I, I got to do it. I got to do it. Okay. The word abide is in the second person plural. You all, you guys, as you're, if you're from New Jersey or if you're from the South like I am, y'all. Okay? So this is what Jesus is saying. Y'all. Jesus was not from the South, but if he was, that's what he'd be saying. Second person plural. I'm not going to do that joke in the second service. Somebody write that down for me. Andrew, just remind me not to do that in the second service. Thank you so much. All right. And here's, here's what else he's saying, is that this verb, uh, abide, is in the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. Just a quick Greek lesson here. The aorist tense indicates an action that has taken place already but has ongoing impact. So look what Jesus is saying. He's saying, y'all have been and continue to be connected to the vine. It's, it's already taken place, but now it's got ongoing impact. Are you with me? This is all packed up in this one word, this one word, abide. Then it's an, it's an imperative and it's an um, uh, active. Sorry, it's an active and it's an imperative, meaning that Jesus is commanding us to be deliberate about remaining connected. So Jesus is saying, y'all have been and continue to be connected to the vine. Now actively stay there. Remain connected. Continue to abide. This is the command of Christ from John 15. So the spiritual practice that we're going to learn today is a habit that seeks to reflect this truth of abiding, that seeks to obey this command and incorporate into our rule of life, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the posture of stillness, the posture of abiding. Jesus does not mean to say here that abiding in the vine means that we sit quiet and still all the time. However, the practice of silence and solitude begins to grow a heart posture that acknowledges that when we abide, we will bear fruit. That it's up to God. 
It's not to say that we grow only when we are quiet and alone. It is to say, however, that the discipline of silence and solitude reflects and produces a stillness of heart that allows us to abide in the vine every moment so that we bear fruit. The spiritual discipline of silence and solitude is illustrated in the life of Christ. In Mark 1.12, Mark tells us that Jesus, before he began his earthly ministry, spent 40 days alone and in quiet. Mark 1 and Luke 5 tell us that Jesus retreated or withdrew to solitude after engaging in ministry activity. Matthew 14 tells us that Jesus mourned the death of John the Baptist, his cousin, in solitude and silence. Luke 9, Mark 6, John 7, among others, tell us that Jesus regularly spent extended periods of time in quiet, solitary prayer. Jesus found rest, renewal, and energy in quiet, solitary places. He recognized the value of silence and solitude and chose to incorporate those life habits as part of his regular rhythm. They were part of his rule of life, so to speak. So Jesus lived in a constant pattern of engagement and withdrawal, of community and solitude, and that renewed him for kingdom work. However, even though Jesus chose to engage in solitude and silence, most of us really aren't like that, are we? We wait oftentimes until we are so desperate, exhausted, and afraid that we are driven to solitude and silence rather than choosing to retreat there. We're a whole lot more like a guy named Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet of God in the northern kingdom of Israel during the 19th, 9th century B.C. We don't have time to get in the details here, but suffice it to say that being a prophet in the northern kingdom during the 9th century B.C. was not a cakewalk. So, after Elijah embarrassed some false prophets of Baal, a woman named Jezebel, who you may have heard of before, threatened to kill Elijah. And understandably, Elijah ran for his life, collapsed under a tree in the middle of nowhere, and prayed that God would let him die. And in 1 Kings 19, the Bible tells us that Elijah was exhausted, desperate, lonely, afraid, ashamed, and overly busy. Now, most of us, not all, but most of us, wait till we get here to retreat, don't we? We wait till we get exhausted and ashamed and desperate and afraid and lonely and overly busy to retreat, and it forces us into silence and solitude. Can you find yourself up here, by the way? Any of those words describe you right this second or in general sometimes? They described Elijah to a T. He was afraid, exhausted, ashamed, broken, lonely, overly busy with ministry activity. And look what God says to him. He says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. The voice that Elijah heard was the voice of God. When Elijah was beaten down, oppressed, exhausted, afraid, and despairing of life, listen close now. God did not reveal himself in thunder and lightning. He didn't reveal himself in an earthquake or in a fire, but in a still, small voice when Elijah was quiet and alone. I think somehow we know intuitively what Elijah knew experientially, that God speaks loudest when we are quietest. Don't we know that in our hearts, that God speaks loudest when we are quietest, that in order to hear God, we need to shut up for a while and get to a place where he doesn't have to shout over the white noise that fills our life? And though somehow we know the value of solitude and silence, solitude and silence aren't easy. Why? Why isn't it easy to get alone and be quiet? A guy named Blaise Pascal is a 17th century uh, Christian scientist and theologian. I think he said it best. Uh, Pascal argues that we resist at all costs any situation in which the peril of our mortal condition is magnified. We simply do not want to face the depth of who we are and silence and solitude plumb that depth. Listen to what Pascal says. It's up here on the screen. Hence it comes... People so much love noise and stir. Hence it comes that the prison is so horrible a punishment. Hence it comes that the pleasure of solitude is a thing incomprehensible. Pascal suggests that we are ever addicted to what he calls diversion. It's anything and everything that might distract us from being alone and quiet. Because we don't want to face who we really are at our core. I want you to know that we train ourselves and train our children, and when I say we, I mean I, we train our kids to engage in diversion from when they're little bitty. Like when Amy and I were flying back and forth this week, you know, we, we didn't, you know, get on the plane, and when Kaya was fussy, and when she was having a tough time, you know, 18 months old, you know, being on a plane for that long, any, anybody, 18 years old, 80 years old, doesn't matter. Being on a plane for that long ain't fun. So we don't say to her, Kaya, why don't we engage in the spiritual practice of silence and solitude? You know, like that's not what we say. What, what do we do? We take an iPhone and shove it in front of her face. Diversion. It's Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, the land of make-believe. Won't you ride along with me? Yeah! <laughs> Young moms and dads diversion. This is what we do to our children because no one can tolerate solitude and silence even from when we're little. Think of the noise that follows you everywhere you go. Let's just use music. 
just use music as an example. In this past week, I heard music in my car, at the gym, at restaurants, at coffee shops, at home, at a friend's home, on my phone, at the grocery store, on airplanes, in airports, and even in the washroom. They even turn the music up in the washroom. I've always wondered why. And that's just music. Our lives are absolutely filled with diversion. Phones, TV, media, food, Facebook, hobbies, planning, work, play, ambition, study, conversation. None of these are bad things, but they become what Pascal calls diversions. It's white noise that drown out the voice of God. Solitude and silence removes all that. And it can be terrifying. The practice of deliberate solitude and silence is the practice of saying to God, I want to hear your voice. I want to know you. I surrender to you. I cannot bear fruit on my own, so I will just remain here in you. It's saying to God, I'm listening. Silence and solitude is the removal of diversion. The practice of solitude and silence goes against our nature because it is the choice to do nothing for extended periods of time. It's the choice to stop talking and simply listen. It's the choice to stop doing and simply be. It's the choice to become like Elijah, to walk to the edge of the cave and listen for the still, small voice of God. This is the practice of solitude and silence. Now, now that we know what it is, now that we know why it might be challenging, now that we know what the purpose is, let's talk really specifically about how to do it. Because that's one of the goals that's been in this series is we get real practical, real simple tools to help you engage in these spiritual practices to add to your spiritual trellis on a week-in, week-out basis. So let's talk about how to engage in the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence. It's five quick steps, really easy. I'll just tell you, uh, let's say it this way. It's simple, but not easy. Simple, but not easy. I will tell you that for me personally, this particular spiritual practice has been one of the most life-giving for me. Okay, solitude and silence. Step one, get alone. Get alone. Now, look, you might be thinking to yourself, wow, Luke, that is brilliant. I'm glad I came to church today. Solitude, get alone. Okay, again, simple, but not easy. For some of us, we kind of have a life rhythm and life pattern where there are times where we can get alone and it's pretty easy for us. This crew over here that knows the Daniel Tiger song, this will be a lot more challenging for them to get alone. We spend much of our life around people and when we're not around people, we have phones to help us interact with people even though people aren't around. You know what I mean? Like we, we build these things into our life all the time. So the first thing you ought to do is get alone. Find a place in your house. Find a place out in the forest. Find a place somewhere where you know no one is going to intrude and no one's going to c- come alongside and do the, you know, and talk to you. Turn your phone off. Turn the whole thing off. Make sure that you are totally alone. 
Remember, we're mimicking and, and, and copying Rabbi Jesus here in his rhythm of life. Get alone. Second thing is get quiet. Get quiet. That means stop talking. Third, get still. Get still. I, I will tell you that for me, <clears throat> the way that I do this is what we did to begin our service today. I just take three really big, deep breaths. I try to inhale as long as I possibly can. I try to exhale as long as I possibly can. I pay attention to tightness in my body and relax my body. I pay attention to the ways that I'm still holding my body up rather than letting a chair hold me or letting a bed hold me. Don't do this when you're tired, by the way, because you'll fall asleep that quick. And I just let myself sink into a chair. I'll tell you a quick story about, about getting still and paying attention to tightness in my body. I went to a, a dentist like six months ago um, after like, I hadn't been to a dentist in like five years. Um, don't judge me. Um, and um, like I, you know, I just didn't go. So I go to the dentist and you know, the first thing you do is they clean your teeth and they floss you and all stuff. Like I know how to floss. I don't, but I know how, right? I don't need you to floss. And the dental hygienist is flossing me and she goes, wow, your teeth look really great for having been, not having been to a dentist in five years. Like I'm not sure how to take that, but whatever. She said they look great. So then after like an hour and a half, um, I go back in this room and, and the last person I see is the dentist. Now they've taken all these x-rays and done all these things and I talk to the dentist and the dentist starts talking to me about some, you know, hey, you've got wisdom teeth and we might need to extract those at some point. And I say, well, don't take my wisdom away. I don't know what, you know, don't do that. So, you know, we're talking about these other things and then he starts to kind of try to say something to me, and I'm not sure. Like, he's kind of tiptoeing around it a little bit. And you know how somebody, they start to posture because they're going to say something difficult to you? My dentist, who I don't, I've never even met the guy, right? I, I mean, I haven't been to a dentist in a long time. I've never met the guy. All he's seen is I filled out the paperwork. That's it. So he knows nothing about me. And he goes, he goes, you know, there are two types of people in the world. I'm like, oh, great, right? So this is, this is never good. There are two types of people in the world. There's kind of the laissez-faire, you know, real kickback, real easygoing folks. He's like, I got, I got a friend that's like that. You know, you tell him he won the lottery, and he'll say, okay, great, what's for dinner? Like he doesn't, you know, he's just real kickback. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's real type A, real driven, real high intensity, real high expectation kind of folks. And he goes, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, he goes, me Personally, I'm about a seven. You know, I'm, I'm a doctor, so I had to go to medical school. I have my own practice. I'm a pretty driven guy. He looks at me, and this is what he says, and I kid you not, these are ex his exact words. I can tell by looking at your teeth on a scale of one to ten, you're about an 11. In terms of driven, type A, high expectation. And I said, I knew you're all charlatans. You know, this is why I don't go to the dentist. He said, no, you are grinding your teeth at night. You, you, you are so tense in your jaw. He says to me, you're so tense in your jaw that you've actually put on muscle mass in your masseter muscle in your jaw. Like I'm thinking to myself, what, like, I, you know, Monday's leg day, you know, Tuesday's chest and back day, Wednesday's cardio, Thursday's jaw day. That's when I do my jaw exercises. Reminds me that I probably need to engage a little bit more in the practice of solitude and silence. It's one of the things that you can do when you get still and you take those big deep breaths. 
pay really close attention. For me, it doesn't take much. It's always my jaw. It might be your shoulders. It might be your back. It might be your insides, your gut. It might be your legs. Let your body sink into the chair that you're sitting in. Get alone, get quiet, and get still. Number four is pray. Pray. But, but listen, th- this is critical that you hear this. It is a very short prayer of invitation. This is not a time to come to God with all your requests and confessions. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. To adore God or to thank God, that's a time of prayer. This is just solitude and silence. So let me give you a couple of options, a couple of prayers that I use, and actually a couple of prayers that Dave had us pray before are great. Jesus, fill me. That's it. Jesus, free me. That's it. Here's a couple that I use. Come, Lord Jesus. Here I am. That's it. That's it. Because this is not a time to pray. It's a time to simply be still and know that he is God. To be quiet and alone at the throne of God. And once you're alone and quiet and still, once you've invited God to commune with you, this is the last, this is the last step here. Stay there. Stay there. <laughs> Just sit. All the to-do list of the day, all the worries and anxieties. Let them float off and simply, as we sang before, run into the arms of your heavenly Father and stay there with Him. Now, it's simple but not easy. So, here is my challenge, my exhortation, my encouragement for you this week as you seek to engage in the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, do it twice, just twice, and do it for 10 minutes at a time. When you do it, bring your phone with you or an alarm or something so that you can set a 10-minute alarm so you don't have to keep checking the clock, okay? Okay, so you just, you know that when that alarm goes off, you're going to be done. And then come talk to me about it. Because <laughs> I'd like to hear how it goes for you. It's not as easy as it sounds just to be still and abide and know that he is God. But that's a great place to start in quiet solitude and silence before God. As we've kind of engaged in uh, these spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices together as a community of faith, one of the things that you might have encountered as you read your Bible, as you prayed, doing justice in the world, even in solitude and silence, is you might have some questions as you go through this. You might, you know, what, what is happening in the midst of this? How do I unpack these experiences? What am I learning? How might I get better at these things? I'll just tell you that spiritual direction is a great way to do that. 
Uh, we have spiritual directors that actually serve with us here as part of our training course. And we've got a spiritual direction course that's coming up April 21, 28, and May 5. It's three Thursdays in a row from 7 to 9 p.m. You can sign up just outside in the foyer and meet with some spiritual directors that might help you unpack these experiences. They're not going to tell you what to do or whatever, but, but it's, a, it's a way to work through some of this stuff and learn and grow as we build a trellis that supports our spiritual life. You with me? Good. Okay. Solitude and silence this week. Give it a shot and come talk to me. Two 10-minute slots. Easy. Then come talk to me and tell me how hard it was. Okay? Perfect. Let's pray together. God, as we prepare our hearts now to respond to you as, uh, in song, as we prepare our hearts now to give uh, with grateful and contented hearts to the crisis care offering that we receive here once a month, God, I pray that you would allow us to simply sit and abide in you. As we sing this familiar hymn, it is well with our soul. Teach us, God, what it means to be branches that bear fruit simply because we're abiding in the vine. Teach us, God, how to be quiet and alone before you and say to you like Elijah did, I'm listening. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, amen. As